Da ist die einzige Sans. I have been somewhat shaken by the recent events and the accounts that I've come across. Understandably, the delay in my work. I wanted to look for a different realm of your something out of the unknowns I've been so intrigued by. The one developing around San Francisco's Orville County, I suppose. So I decided to look for a power that had no so much of a hold on me. Fear of the material world. That of the dark. Following is the interview of one Mr. Stuart Butch, younger brother of Oliver Butch, dated September 20th, 2020. Recorded by Eloy Patel, researcher of the mind, University of London. Interview begins. Mr. Butch, please. Um, I should sit here, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, I am Stuart Butch. I'm from Ohio. Could you, um, tell us about your brother and his artworks? Uh, yeah. About my brother. Uh, well, you see, Ollie. <laughs> my brother Oliver was never the speaking type. Don't get me wrong, he. he loved to talk. He just didn't like it when someone dealt on him too much. He could talk to you all day, debating whether a hot dog was a sandwich or whether the lemons of Garcia cost the London fires. <laughs> he just evaded the topic of his own life very much. Yeah. Almost since the front lines of our recall. But 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 I was his brother, so if he ignored to answer me with so many words, I I could see him. His actions, his movements, his expressions. I just I just wish I. I believed him sooner, you know. Like how I shouldn't have questioned him as much. Could have just held his fucking hand while he even tried to reach out, but I didn't. <laughs> Uh, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. That's okay, Mr. Butch. Take your time. So, um, as I was saying, he, um, he always was weary of places, in a way. Careful of where he went. So much so, he carefully selected where he walked. Hmm. I tried to take him to a psychiatrist. We thought a diagnosis of OCD would show us why this was happening. And he went even. He, he did everything. He thought it would help him too. But it didn't. And, and we all All we could do was watch, watch him be, watch him suffer. <laughs> but he was strong, my brother, he was strong. He, um, he started painting and sketching small scribbles here and there which later <laughs> became something more he once told me how he was letting it out and it did help him it did too I found him. I found him in his, his apartment. Lying there. So peaceful. <laughs> so cold. <sighs> Ooh. Uh, um, Mr. Butch, you can, you, you can stop if you want to. I want people to know. <laughs> I want people to know about him, you know. I want them to know what was happening. <laughs> I just want him to be remembered for how strong he was. <laughs> I just... <sighs> <laughs> I just hope from the bottom of my heart that someone finds this helpful. Thank you, Mr. Butch. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Interview ends. After my correspondence with Stuart, I started to examine the various paintings he talked about. 
I'm archiving the account for my research further. Case number 1052, paintings of Oliver Butch, ranging in dates from 2016 to 2019. Recording begins. Most cases often highlight the haphazard way the strokes are made. How the initial drawing too is a form of scribble and so is the one that is deemed finished. The manner in which it runs over the pages, an urgency strikes as if Oliver was desperately trying to get something out of his head. The trailing lines and the scratches made as the ink started to run out, it feels almost as if he couldn't stop till he was done describing whatever this thing is. It doesn't seem like he was doing this for the sake of art as something in itself. Much like his brother said, I would agree that he was using this as a means, although I'm not sure if he wanted people to see his work. Oliver seems to have a fear of an unknown, a darkness. And the more I pour over his writing and his works, the more I become gravely aware of its similarities with case number 1223 of one Elias Rudolph from Bay Creek, a mere 30 minutes away from Oliver's apartment in Crawley. The fear in these cases seems to somehow connect to a manifestation rather than remaining a hallucination where the victim is being sucked into a void to avoid everything, eventually everyone, while the manifestation oddly stays still. Oliver has painted and scribbled various stages of his sufferer game here. It's hard to point out, but easy to see how his choice of colors could point out how he was dealing with something that was very real to him, at least. The awful shapes of the black over vibrant straight strokes come from a more lucid period where he was struggling to map out the creature or creatures that were stalking him. Later, these turned into more of a message and a power the forces were trying to have on him. The strokes become more tamed, delicate even, which often is a good sign for diagnosed patients of paranoid schizophrenia as they find various healthy methods to cope. But here, uh, Mr. Butch was known to be growing worse. I do not know how much to believe the validity of an emotional statement by his brother. But if he wasn't suffering from hallucination, side effects, drug abuse or any paranoid mental disorder, these accounts would map out him giving in to whatever force that was preying on him. Once again, the connection to Mr. Rudolph isn't lost on me here either. It seems like if there is a stranger or a manifestation, it doesn't feed on you till you become tired of not indulging with it in some way or the other. Nonetheless, the final recorded piece of Oliver shows a man in peace, a scene which should be hopeful, but is marked by the circumstances of Mr. Butch's death in his apartment. 
found in a similar fashion, according to his brother, lying peacefully on his own accord. I am still inclined to believe that these are the doings of a mental disorder running its course on a tender life. It's disheartening to lose anyone, whatever the case may be. But after talking to his brother, the mysterious case around his death being filed under mysterious circumstances and just the outright unavailability of answers tells that there is more to this case than what we are made to believe. <sighs> All I can say right now, apart from my investigative efforts, I hope that we know that we have people we can rely on, people we can go to, for there shouldn't be anyone suffering alone. May the souls of the poor and the wicked alike rest in peace. Case number 911. The United Circus Records given to Mr. Jeffrey Halefern, originally dated 1944, submitted to the Institute June 2017. Recorded by Elroy Patel, researcher of the mind, University of London. Recording begins. I do not know how I got here. I do not quite remember much of what I do or did in the past three years after completing school. But somehow I remember everything related to the circus as clear as day. You see, you see Jeff, after father left us and mum got sicker by the day, I couldn't just sit there and let you do all the hard work. I know it makes you sad to see your younger brother work odd jobs, part-time, but I kept studying in the University of Cordwell still. Even though I thought you were wasting the hard-earned money on me, I knew how deep-driven the rationalistic ideas were in our heads. And I knew you were just following what father would have wanted. So, after all this, I was quite disappointed that I couldn't get a job in the psychiatric hospital of Vermont. And I continued my part-time shifts. Do you remember the old coffee shop father used to take us to? where he would go to smoke his cigars for a bit and we waited for our pastries and milkshakes. That old roundabout. That's where I spent most of my days alone. Jeff, I know you wondered where I went. How you worried, sick that I was probably with the wrong sort of group. I should have told you when you asked, but a selfish part of me couldn't help but want to keep that as a corner for me and only me 
somehow it made me feel closer to father and it it seemed he was closer to me there and some days i couldn't help but weep so when i saw a small flyer for recruitment in the chase circus scene i couldn't help but think of it as a sign from him that when i saw they recruited a funds manager it did nothing but confirm that belief so i went there i borrowed a ferry to orville county as soon as i could and even through all this i was still aware that i may not get this job but when i went there the majesty of the tent had me in awe and at that time i saw nothing odd about it when i look back i still question how i could ever go inside so boldly without a care in the world anyways when i went inside and pushed the curtains aside i was surprised to see a man in a purple overcoat just standing there as if to greet me as if he knew i was coming as if he was waiting he smiled all along this even when i asked him about the flyer he gave a sort of chuckle as if he told me how a man like me ended up here he didn't seem to be interested in my answer it seemed as if he was just talking to himself setting up a show for me i wish i had known that it would be a terrifying scene he told me i was hired and i didn't question it and told me to start working from tomorrow this was in the may of 1943 brother when you started the extensive woodstock work and began to stay out late we had stopped seeing much of each other and were starting to grow distant for the first time in 25 years of existence we saw together it was turmoil and i don't blame you for it but i think i understand how i was looking for something to latch on to how i wouldn't see the obvious red flags of the circus in front of me Every day was a different scene inside the tent where various acts that played inside had one and only one purpose to show how grand chase was I discovered that chase the ringmaster as we call it was also the owner of this branch of circus and no one seemed to question it and no matter how much I tried to ask about it I always got looks so i decided to shut up and do my job it was simple really my job it was math and i loved it not the job but the subject itself because at this point after only a few weeks i had started to feel uncomfortable inside the tent or anywhere near the main stage every night the tent changed and i could hear sounds of twigs turning and something crunching although at that time i couldn't for the life of me figure out what it was i never investigated it honestly i never got the chance to every time i i'd ask any sort of questions i would get a resounding silence from everyone everyone the acrobats the jugglers the music players everyone seemed to be the only way i can explain it as is expressionless and i just left it at that <laughs>
It was in the late winters of 1944 when the toll house near the Mount Mansfield was to be refurbished and when the circus started getting a lot of patrons. That is when I saw the back gates to the circus stage ajar. This was my third night shift and I don't quite remember whether it used to be guarded or populated but when I saw it I certainly didn't think it would be so utterly silent but I went in still and I expected to be stopped or asked or just see someone anyone but it never happened I continued still Jeff and what I saw I still cannot quite explain inside there were cages and cages which I thought were at first empty but when I looked closer pressed my eyes into the patchwork of steel I noticed blobs I almost reached when I saw a slight twinkle of a pair of eyes as I didn't expect to see anything but as I calmed down a bit and my eyes adjusted to the dim blue moonlight that made its way inside I saw that it was just it an emotionless and motionless bag of meat the only reason i knew it was living was from the soft breathing sounds it made so horribly contorted that i couldn't even understand whether it was a human or something else and all it seems to do is stare stare sharply at and right through me i don't know why but i kept going still and all around were cages dozens and dozens of them all contorted with with their bends and and mouths in odd places yet still unmoving unflattering but that stare i felt shudders down my spine but i kept going i don't know what i expected to find but among the thick cobwebs about the light bulbs i thought of as lampshades and the blobs of unassuming meat inside the cages the silence the cold in the air i knew there was something deeper and i needed to know i walked slowly but deliberately and as i reached near the main stage area i could see chase and he looked enigmatic just the same but different through the cheers i don't know how i heard it but it was clear to my ears that it was that twisting sound again and and suddenly it connected i do not know what it was whether the cages i had just seen the idea of twisted joints and bones fresh in my mind or just my love for stories but at that instant i looked up up to the contortionists 
to the sounds the sounds of bone cracking and twisting expressionless no they felt it i could see the pain in their faces but it felt as if something prevented them from making any sound from the crevices of their contorted smiles i realized how painted it looked how their eyes told a different story altogether as if something controlled and gripped them the contortionists felt their bones snap their bones jar and break that their limbs twisted in the air to the delighted gasps of the people below where the distorted cries fueled the laughter of the money bears but upon the stage to the observers i saw they looked almost oblivious to all that pain their body was no longer their own then i saw chase right there at the center near the backdrop from where i appeared how his face looked that of pure joy how he seemed to be oddly euphoric and then i noticed his hands and the putty twisted in them and suddenly the word ringmaster took a sinister turn and the world started spinning around me the laughter the the, the act the tight rope the purple coat it all swirled and i i started sweating and at that time right at that instant he spoke to me while contorting the putty in his hands he said would you like to play son and i swear before he could turn to me and look at me with that stare i, I ran i ran from there as fast as i could I didn't see where I was going. I didn't care whether someone came after me or was waiting for me. I just ran. I wanted out. It was only when I reached the roundabout that I stopped. That I took a breath and noticed the cries. The cries of the people from the directions of the circus. You see Jeff I accidentally dropped the lamp that stood outside as I ran out and in my days I couldn't think anymore I don't need to tell you about the fire I suppose but after that I could never come back neither to the town or to anything remotely reminding me of a circus I wanted to tell you I was fine. That I was in Lancashire and doing well. I knew I couldn't say anything to you without explaining why I left. Why I don't seem to reply to Millie's mail, why I didn't visit for mother's funeral. But but you see Jeff, I have been marked. Marked by something that has got its hold on me. and i'm afraid it's waiting for me back there and every corner that relates to it somehow 
I am afraid that this will be my only correspondence to you. Just know that I am doing well, brother. Love, Sean. Recording ends. Although a case primarily again from the States, it was fairly easy to follow through as the circus fire of 1944 seems to be fairly well documented. I could find several records of there being the tent of the traveling circus registered by the name Chastity and Love Incorporated. But I couldn't find any records of a Mr. Chase or any of the contorted tales that he talked about in his letter. Due to our lack of connection that far out, we couldn't follow up with Mr. Halefern, nor could we secure the travel records of a Sean Halefern. It almost seems like he disappeared from the public records of Lancashire after 1944. What is curious is that I found a few newspaper articles that talked about apparent barrels of animal fat that were found among the charred remains of the tent. What is uncertain is whether this was animal fat or uh, human fat. But no conclusive studies could be conducted at that time of the incident. It doesn't escape me that this happened in the same Orville County from the case number 573 and neither does the fact that this could all be conjecture. The last record of Sean Helfern I could find was an entry in the census record of London dated 1961. Other than that, I cannot say with certainty about anything regarding the statement. May the souls of the wicked and the poor alike rest in peace.